Welcome back to Not Alone, a podcast about faith and well-being. We are so glad you're listening. We often think of friendships being able to last through time and survive long distances, but the reality is our friendships change over the course of our lives. In this episode, Michael, Lindsay, and Evan discuss what this has meant in their own lives, how making friends looks different in adulthood, and the practical ways we can maintain our friendships despite how busy life may get. To guide us through this topic, here are Michael McCord, Lindsay Geist, and Evan DeYoung. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another wonderful episode of Not Alone. I am Evan DeYoung, and I am joined by Lindsay Geist and Michael McCord. Say hi to the people. Was that your puberty entrance, like your voice <laughs> cracking? Are we, are we doing that episode this week? Yes, I have recently reached puberty. Uh, it's I'm going through some changes, and I have been told by my doctor to let people know uh, I'm actually hitting what's called second stage puberty. Uh, so I'm we going through have, a we lot have of that episode. Yeah. Well, I, I'm just impressed at how long your hellos get every single entrance. I mean, it's just when I think that you know. It can't go on any longer. It just keeps it lingers. Sustaining. It yeah. lingers. You don't see what you don't see is all the work that we put in behind the scenes here at the Not Alone podcast. I'm doing, you know, voice uh, all season training exercises. Yeah. yeah, I put on montage music and get those hellos going. So uh, it's good to be here with you again, friends. You didn't say hi to the people yet, though. Hey, everybody. <laughs> It's great to be with you. I want to say a special hello to uh, our listeners in London. I uh, got a lot of feedback from you recently, and I just want to say we're grateful for you. It's always fun to hear connections that we have around the world. <laughs> well, it, I was going to try and do an accent to say hello, but I realized that, that would, be, would be more that would patronizing be, than anything yeah. else. So at this episode, we are talking about adult friendship. So it's important. It matters. We all think that we have friends, and I think the guiding kind of joke here uh, is about Jesus and his ministry and friendship and how that connects with faith and well-being. Lindsay, I think that you had a little joke for us here that I'm now teeing up I, I, with. I don't think you could introduce this as a joke. Is it's it, not a, I mean, it's it a meme a that's this going very around serious. because it, because it feels real <laughs> that the hardest part to believe about Jesus is not necessarily the resurrection is that he had 12 close friends in his thirties. And who has time for that or ability to have 12 close friends what, in their thirties? What is real? What makes it real though is one of them betrayed him for some money. So, you know, I mean, <laughs> oh, it, no. it just... <laughs> It, it all of a sudden one of them did not turn out quite like you expected and that happens yeah. in friendships uh way more often than we probably want to say maybe it can but we're going to talk about it for sure uh, jesus had 12 close friends in his 30s and so my question to all of you is now that we're all past 30 uh, how many close friends do each of you have and i think the only way to quantify that is to say, how many Facebook friends do we all have? I think that's probably going to determine 
who has the amount of actual friends. So I have 1,600 Facebook friends, apparently, according to Facebook. I keep in close contact with all of them and view them as significant parts of my life. Uh, Michael, Lindsay, how many Facebook friends do you have? And then yeah, we, I no, think no, 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 no. We need whoever, to take a guess. Whoever Let's has a... the most gets to be the subject matter expert for the adult friendship episode. Let's take a guess on Lindsay's. I think Lindsay has 2,200 Facebook friends. 2200 2200 right i i think i'm gonna i think the way you do this on prices right is 2201 oh well yeah okay yeah that's fair all right that's your guess Lindsay. the answer is okay so looking it up i mean we have to keep in mind that facebook for me uh i mean it, I was one of like the test schools. So I've had Facebook for a really long time. So, I mean, I think I might win at this. Uh, Facebook, it says I have 1,445 friends. Oh, I got you beat by 200. <gasps> Whoa. You have me, you have more friends than me? Uh, yeah. Ah, ah, I'm dancing. You can't see it, but I'm dancing. And let's just, for the record, I have 2,037 friends. 2037? 2037? Now I'm questioning if I'm not friendly. It's just because I'm friendly. (laughs) They're very close. I've I've thoroughly vetted all 2037. In fact, I have 122 that are currently being vetted by my assistant, which is called Time. (laughs) (laughs) So, So do you keep people in Facebook purgatory as well? Like, that's what I call it is purgatory, where like the people ask to be your friend and then you decide whether you really want to be friends or not. And so then they just live so in purgatory. I just have this in this very hard and fast rule that they have to have at least 30 mutual friends before I accept them. If I don't know who they are. <laughs> you you just huh. really let everybody in. I, I have something that's <laughs> sad and embarrassing in Facebook purgatory. Uh, I do believe in Facebook purgatory for friend requests because I just don't check it very often. Uh, And actually, I have someone who uh, sadly uh, had submitted a friend request and has now passed away. (laughs) (laughs) What? They they died not knowing. Not knowing if you were friends. I mean, because clearly Facebook friends says if you're real friends or not. Wait, it might be gone. This is just tragic. I just, I, I, I don't know if we can continue on this relationship. I, so what I think y'all need oh, to no, do, it's because, still there. because so many people are in purgatory, you don't want to end up uh, the way that Evan is right now uh, with somebody not knowing the depth of his friendship. Uh, because they are no longer living and he did not accept them in time. So the two of y'all, your mission the rest of the day uh, or sometime this week. I, I mean, them. that's the, isn't that the loving uh, thing that God would want us to do? Yeah. I, I, Everybody I what, should be our friend. I don't know what to do. They're dead. <laughs> I have some people so, who've been waiting seven and 10 years. <laughs> 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 I'm so sorry. So, <laughs> Let me 
Do you want to give your one. public apology right now? You are so sorry. I haven't oh, looked at this. Goodness. I have some 10 years. <laughs> this is I, great. I actually have a so, lot of people that have been in Facebook purgatory for 10 to 7 years. Oh, goodness. So, it, I mean, is it really this hard for us to decide if we have real friends as adults or make friends as adults that we, yes. I mean, do we have this many people in like real life friendship purgatory? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's kind of the, oh, we should get together soon of the digital age. That is such a filler statement. I don't know if, I think what's hard about friendship is people say that kind of stuff. And I don't know if we are actually, like, are you actually wanting to be friends with people or do you use that as like a, hey, what's up? How are you statement these days? Sure. Well, I guess my big question to you guys is, are adult friendships that important? Do they really matter? Is it something that we feel like we're missing in our lives, that we're just romanticizing the past and what things were when we had more time and more proximity to the folks that we care about? Or is it an essential healthy function of being an adult, especially being an adult Christian and following Christ, that we have to have community and relationships? So which which side of it do we fall on? I mean, is it does it matter that you have strong adult friendships or does it not? I mean, just straight up. I mean, this shouldn't be a hard question. It is important for us to have friendships and connection. I just, I think all of a sudden I started when you said, do we romanticize it and everything? I miss those moments when you were young and hanging out in the neighborhood and somebody would come knock on the door. Hey, can you come grab your bike and go ride bikes together? Um, Nobody just shows up at my house and knocks on my door anymore to say, hey, what are you doing? I hear that as a challenge, Evan. Oh, actually, that might have been a bad thing to say out loud to the <laughs> no, two of y'all. <laughs> Showing up unannounced is not cool anymore. If you knock True. on somebody's door without at least texting them, that is a social faux pas at this point. People will get legitimately upset. You can't do that. You can't just show up. Okay, so maybe I don't mean that I actually want people to just show up. I kind of do, but kind of don't. I I want some of the casual spur of the moment, I think, stuff to happen. I mean, right. last last week, friends texted me. Um, I mean, sometimes a friend can text me or call me last minute. Hey, what are you doing for dinner? You want to grab dinner together? Um, even just as random as on a Friday morning last week, a friend sent me a text at like 7.30 in the morning. Hey, we're going to grab dinner after work at this place. You want to meet us there? Um, and that felt, not. I mean, maybe not the same knock on your front door spontaneous, but it felt refreshing. Yeah, your digital uh, front door. It feels good to be included. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it does. And I think it's challenging because for me, adult friendships happen typically in the calendar. Like, yes. You, you just... If you work with somebody and you see them regularly or you have some kind of recurring event that you see them, you can kind of build plans into it. But for me, if it doesn't end up in some kind of calendar or schedule, it typically doesn't happen anymore. Now, is that bad? Is it good? I don't know. It kind of makes me sad because I like to be spontaneous. And so it kind of removes the the essence of that because it's planned spontaneity. But now I'm like, well, if I don't at least block off a chunk of time to be spontaneous with people, 
it'll never happen. And so that's tough. I think some of that planning though, is that, I mean, for me, I kind of have a core uh, list of friends that are the people that I want to and need to spend time with that really fill my soul. I may love spending time with lots of people, but there's those people that are um, uh, kind of your lightning cable, the way you plug in your cell phone. And then all of a sudden it's like charges faster. Uh, There's some of those people that know you really well, that it charges up real fast. Um, And those are the people that I probably will build some of my schedule around um, and book further out to make sure that our schedules sync up together. Oh, yeah. What I'm hearing is that Michael and I are that old phone charger that charges really, really (laughs) slow, but you're desperate and it just ended up in your suitcase. And so you're in a hotel on like 5% (laughs) battery and this thing's charging like you have a hand crank going or it's using solar power. Yeah, you remember that time we called her and said, hey, we're in town. Do you want to go dinner? And she's like, no, I just do a little me time. You remember that? Aren't you really proud of me that I knew I needed some self-care? Michael, I will I want to make a statement though. You were disappointed that we did not hang out that time. We did hang out when I visited Nashville last month. We did. We did. And um, and also, I don't know if you know that Evan texted me this past weekend and said, Hey, you want to come over and watch the game? Everybody, everybody's hanging out. And I responded, everybody. And that's Evan. Evan, like, if there's three people in the room, it's everybody. Anybody can be invited. Um, And I went. Like, I did a spontaneous thing and hung out with Evan on the weekend. I did this. I I was in town. I I, was in town. I made chicken wings. It was amazing. Spontaneity is one of those things. Like it's it it's it's hard enough to find some spontaneity in your own life, but you gotta you gotta somehow align in the the world spontaneity in someone else's life too. The, the both spontaneities have to line right. up in order for something spontaneous to happen. It's more of a <laughs> it's just a lot of ass. Yeah, it's a logistical yeah. challenge, is what it seems like. It's like a lunar eclipse. I, I wonder know? if we could talk a little bit more about the need for friendship and connection into adulthood because I actually wanted to ask, could I ask a question just a little bit before that, Evan? Yes. (laughs) What is friendship? Like for, for you, what, what is friendship? What constitutes a friendship for you? And are there layers of friendships? You have like, you know, in, in middle school, you had a best friend and a BFFF and a BFFFFF. Yeah, the labels are the labels are interesting because I would say anyone that I know, I was like, oh, I have a friend. And so that category is very broad. If I know how do I get into that, Evan, I I, I'm a friend. What what constitutes that? Yeah, I mean, I'd say anybody met you once. Yeah, we've we've met. I know someone. (laughs) Seen you across the room. No, yeah, I think it would be I know someone. I have a friend who and then I think the category for me that I loosely use is, oh, this is my good friend. This is my college friend. This is my friend I've had for a long time. Like the the amount work of time friend. that I've known you and stayed connected. I don't, I don't know. I don't have a ton of work friends. I think my work friends are just friend friends. I don't really delineate like the friend oh, category. I and if I know now. you through work, just... you're, you're in, you're in. 
I think Michael, what he's saying is that we started as how we would label work friends. And, but now we've just moved into the friend, friend the category friend. for Evan. Um, well, I, on my wall of friends, you guys are still under work friends, but you know, maybe, maybe you can move it over. See, so for me, friendship, I have like my inner circle, best friends. And then I have good friends. And then I probably just have friends, larger community of friends. So my inner circle people are the people that I will share all sorts of, uh, like just intimate, lots of sharing about me. I, um, and they can know thoughts and uh, experiences and events in my life um, and know both the good and the kind of eh, stuff that I don't necessarily would want the world to know, but I trust them enough to share that. Is it bad yeah. if I just bottle up the uh, and then dump it on strangers at inappropriate times? That, because mm, I feel I've heard that's a really effective tool to for getting arrested. <laughs> committed. It just well, I, I think I think your point when I'm sitting here thinking of the own question I ask myself is that um, it's about how much I know someone and how much they know me. Okay. That 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 vulnerable level of vulnerability and 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 openness is kind of indicative of the depth of that relationship. But I think the more you know somebody and the more they know you, the more you're going to be there for each other. Uh, and the more you're you're going to make an effort to see each other or connect with each other. But I also had this other thought that kind of the inverse question is, what does it take to not be a friend? I'm really interested in Evan because Evan... That, that, I think that's almost impossible for Evan to 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 see someone not as their friend, you know, because I'm just I, looking at the same thing from the opposite angle. My social style has been described as a golden retriever puppy. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's fair. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I have gotten better at putting up some boundaries as I've gotten older with relationships. So my expectations typically align with, I guess, a category that I would put, put somebody into. Um, and I, I'm not a, I don't think frequency of contact determines depth in friendship. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Uh, and that, and, and I, I, I definitely think they have, a, I think they're correlated in some ways for some relationships but i i'm the kind of like oh it's been 15 years let's pick back up where we left off so i think if somebody doesn't jive with that then that creates some disconnect because if they if if we to be close if we need to talk all the time then that's not really what's going to fit with my schedule and my life now i have friends that i am intentional with that i talk with regularly because we've both agreed that that's important to us and there's some reciprocity there but that category is honestly fairly limited uh, as far as folks that i'll make sure that i'm calling and scheduling but i'm a big caller so like i have a big list of people that i want to call and catch up with and i have people that i try and catch up with once a year i have people that i try and catch up with every month and i have people that i try and catch up with every other week or so uh, and so i structure that as so you talk to you every day so yeah well, i honestly i get withdrawals when i don't get to talk to you guys i mean i'm just like <laughs> do you really keep a list evan of I the do. people that you want to i do too I keep an actual physical list 
of people that I want to talk to or uh, kind of, and and I won't necessarily always keep it on my desk in front of me. Um, no, certainly not. But I uh, sometimes, you know, I'll toss out that post-it and then make a new one mm-hmm. of um, kind of, and then I put all the names down of like people I haven't seen in a while, haven't caught up with in a while. And then we'll go down the list and either text them to see them in person and right. put something in to calendar, you know, all those texts of, Hey, can you see me uh, two weeks from Thursday at, you know, four 30 in the afternoon at this place? Um, Cause it's always crazy like that. Yeah. Um, and then there's other people that I know I need to just call. And so yeah. I'll kind of schedule in and sometimes we'll even schedule in when we're going to call each other. Yeah, for sure. You have to sometimes. I mean, you play in a phone tag and you don't have mm-hmm. any option. I, I'm a big, if I think about you, I'm I'm probably going to just reach out. Uh, and I throw out a lot of texts that are just like, hey, was thinking about you the other day, or this made me think of you. I hope you're doing well. You know, we'll would love to catch up sometime in the next few weeks. I send a lot of those messages uh, just to mm-hmm. kind of keep things moving forward, especially into adulthood, way more into adulthood where I'm not going to one central place where I see a bunch of people like in college yeah. or, you know, early on in my professional career where we just had more time. Can, can I ask you a question? <clears throat> I mean, I, I love you are how full I of, You are full so of questions is, today. Is this, is this, so I, I'll just, I'm, I'm, I don't have the answers to the questions I asked you. They just came to me. And so I've been thinking about this last question. What is the thing that that keeps me from seeing someone as a friend? And I think I realize, and tell me if this is selfish or not, but I think if, if I catch myself and realize that 90% of the time we spend together is, is listening to their concerns or helping mm-hmm. them through problems or that, that I'm giving 90% in this relationship, like it's some, there's, there's now I, we all go through waves, right? I mean, there's, there's times where I am more needy than other times. Sure. And so I, I wouldn't say it's just like, if we have one phone call and so friends, if you don't, don't feel like you have to spend 50% of our conversation about me, but over the course of time, if you realize gosh, every time we talk, I think of, I have these particular friends from, from uh, several years ago that every time we talk, it's, it's mm-hmm. all about what they're doing. And never ask me questions about what's happening. And I'll hang up the phone. I'm like, well, it's just, it's weird. I mean, I, I love hearing it, but it's also like, does it go both I, ways? You know? I am so with you. I um, I used to joke with friends that if that happened several times, um, at first I kind of swallowed it down. And uh, then I think just in the place that I am, in the season I'm in, I started joking and saying, um, this is not a therapy session. This isn't all about you. So um, Lindsay is going to send you a bill. And yeah. so I jokingly, <laughs> I, I jokingly that, I mean, there were several years that friends were like, I just really need to talk this out. And um, especially, and I say this lovingly, a number of my male friends were like, I need to talk this out. And I'm like, okay, if I am spending my entire dinner conversation, hearing you process through your problem, you are in charge of buying dinner. Like, I won't charge you $130, but you will buy dinner Uh, or you will ask more about me Um, because it's not it. That is where I think that it's no longer a mutual friendship. It's and people don't necessarily purposely take advantage of one another that way or. You know, they don't realize they're being slightly self-centered in that moment. 
And as you said, Michael, it ebbs and flows. We have weeks, but if we all know those few people that consistently you can hang up the phone and go, they never asked one thing about me. I I mean, I think that is, it just kind of has a, there's an exhaustion factor to it Mm -hmm. where inevitably the natural consequence of someone not being inquisitive about how you are doing or asking you questions or being curious. I think that does put some barriers in your ability to be close with somebody, which I think is an essential part of friendship is that vulnerability and that closeness. Fun is a factor for me. If, if it's Mm -hmm. not fun, then, and it doesn't always have to be fun, but if we don't ever have fun, then I'm going to have a hard time because it can't be work all the time. You know what I'm saying? And and there's a difference to me between intentionality and work. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't mind being intentional. I'm, in, I'm more intentional at work and some other things that I have in my personal life. But when I'm not at work, that is, I take that freedom of time and the ability to be spontaneous and try and do things. I have to refresh myself to be healthy and balanced. Uh, and so I think that does have a, a pretty heavy influence. I don't really think of it that way. I think naturally, I just kind of naturally put some distance there. And I think it just creates distance naturally anyways, when you, you have those times and you're like, oh, that was weird. So how do how do friends make it from, like progress from stranger into towards inner circle friends? Like, do we have a process, do you think? I think that has changed pretty radically for me as I've aged into different stages of adulthood. How uh, so? I think you have I think you have proximity relationships where you're mm-hmm. naturally in the same place at the same time. So you work together or you're in a class together or a, like a league or a sport or you're volunteering in the same organization and things like that. And so when you interact and have good conversations there, that's a category. If you don't talk and interact and hang out outside of a third party structured activity, there's that crossover point. So if you get you know, dinner or hang out outside of whatever that structured time is, that starts to build a bridge. But if we only interact at some other function, I would say that we have a friendship there, but it's not like we've crossed that personal space boundary uh, that kind of does that. I don't know if that makes any sense, but that that's mm-hmm. more of a proximity or circumstantial friendship uh, than something that I would say is core to my social life. Yeah, I mean, I think for... for for me, it really is about that that vulnerability. How how honest I can be. I think you know, I was thinking about what you're saying. I, I I agree. Fun. I think fun's important. We got to be able to laugh together at some point. Otherwise, it's it's just draining. Um, it's not life giving. And there's that that shared life, that vulnerability, that shared life together. And then I also think uh, some of the qualities of my closest friends is that I 100% know they have my back that they they understand they they know me and they they trust me and they care for me but they're also not afraid to push me and mm-hmm. so there has to be some of that I think either I have some some friends who 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 will share a lot we know a lot of each other but they 
but but might be timid to to actually stand up and say, you know, I don't I don't know, Michael. I don't know if you're right about that. And I think my closest friends are do that, and they're the ones I value the most because when they do push back, I, I know I need to listen. So I was doing some research about this topic because I uh, don't ever not do research about things when we're going to talk about it more. Um, and I was reading an I article. Think that was, I think she looked at us when. No, I didn't. I, oh. I, you know me. I always love a good. She's statistic. pushing back. She's saying, "Michael, did you give us the side eye?" <laughs> yes, I'm sure I did. Even intentional or unintentional, it's y'all. <laughs> I'm sure at some point in this conversation, I will give y'all the side eye. Um, so I was reading several articles out there, and I think this one was from the New York Times. Don't quote me on it. I'm not quite positive, but that in my research. Rag. <laughs> oh God, we've gone political now. <laughs> In my research, uh, they said, why is it challenging to make friendships as an adult? Mm-hmm. And they said there were two key factors. Um, Should I they said, guess what they are? Sure. What do you think they are? All right, I'm not going to do a joke guess. I'm going to actually guess. Wait, we're naming the two challenges? No, two factors. Yeah, why is it challenging to make oh. friendships as an adult? Okay. Well, what I are mean, the like, two time. contributing factors? Time. Okay, time. Crunched, crunched for time was one of them. Mm-hmm. Decreased neuroplasticity. <laughs> no. Diabetes. Um, <laughs> Diabetes. My brain gets crusty. <laughs> I, sorry. Sorry. I know there's a real answer. Time time has got to be it, right? Yeah. The other one is we have difficulty trusting new people. Oh. Mm. Oh, you know, I do get that, though. I I was so less guarded when I was younger. And it just takes a couple people to burn you real good on your hospitality uh, and your kindness. And then you're kind of barrier for entry into me trusting you like you got to prove it a little bit more i got burned bad some a couple times yeah. i mean i would say that's probably true for a lot of us that there's probably some friendship that ended in a really challenging way um or something happened to split us apart and we carry that with us i i think that it's both yeah evan I would just say we were never really friends in in the oh, circumstances okay. that I was thinking about. It was like, oh, let's be close. Let's hang out. It's like, no, you're just taking advantage of me and other yeah. people's kindness. Yeah. I, so I've been thinking about this one about trusting people. And I almost, um, almost want to add a third of why is it hard uh, that it's both about trusting them. Uh, but I think it's... Um, the vulnerability or kind of embarrassment or risk taking mm-hmm. in making a new friend. Um, I don't think that making a new friend is much different than like uh, thinking back on asking somebody out on a date. Uh, Cause you're like, are they going to say yes? Are they not going to say yes? How is this going to go? Are we going to want to see each other again? Are we not going to want to see each other again? There's just mm-hmm. so much risk involved. Yeah, Michael, I remember 
you telling me a story about uh, a certain time in your life <laughs> that might be relevant here? Oh my goodness! Well, so <clears throat> this is this is when we moved to Nashville the very the first time. I took this job that required me to travel all over the world all the time. So I was I was gone a lot, and Emily was here more, and so she had developed some friends. And she just kept saying, "You've got, you've got to make some friends." Because I, I really had, I had none. I worked in a an environment where I didn't really have any work friends either, because we were all gone all the time. So it was just, it was kind of a lonely period of time for me there. And I got, I, I finally got up the nerve. And I don't know why it, it just felt enormous to, to ask. It felt like I was asking someone out. Yeah. And and so I, I um, somebody that I had met at church asked me to 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 bring something to them uh i can't remember or maybe no they were giving me something we were having a baby and they had some to- some some clothes i think or something like that and they were giving them to us and i was like oh great well this would be a great time you know maybe maybe i can connect with them and we could we could hang out and do do lunch or something like that and so i i, I drove to their house and we, we you know we i got the stuff we talked for a little bit and then as, as we were going i was like somebody else like you know I'm I'm new here. I travel a lot. I just don't have a lot of friends. And I would I love the chance just to hang out sometime, maybe meet some other people, some other of your friends too. I don't know, just just get a chance to get to know some people here in Nashville. And uh he looked at me and he said, Honestly, I just have so many friends, I, I'm not really looking for any more. <laughs> and that was you, so terrible. How did you feel? <laughs> I felt like I felt like I was eighth grade Michael asking a girl out on a at a dance and she said no or she laughed at you. I was like, that took so much. I'm sure that that person had no idea how much effort it took for me to ask that because I I wasn't I didn't I, you know I didn't start crying or anything. I felt trying to make it feel casual. You cried in the car. <laughs> I did. I cried in the car. No, I probably just was shell shocked. But I I think that it it taught me two things is one that I needed to do that more. Like I needed to put my, it's in the end, I did find some really good friends. That was kind of the turning point. That was like, I really want to, I really do want friends. Like I I need, I need some in my life. uh, Besides those who I, you could just call I need people that I can actually go hang out with. And the second is to be aware of other people around you and and Mm -hmm. the clues they might be dropping that they really, that they're, they're looking for friends. I think it's, I'm not going to suggest that it's different for men and women, but I know for men, it can be really hard and intimidating to try to broach, especially if you're not in that situation where you see, it's different if you're like, if you go to bars and you start hanging out with the same people, you see them regularly. I think those, those kinds of things maybe lower the threshold, but if you're, if you're working a lot and you, and you find yourself kind of alone in a new community, it's, it, that's really hard to to step out of that box. Oh, and, big time and try to make friends. So um, anyway, I'm glad I, I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I got to experience. Uh, I'm sad that that's how it was, but, but it pushed me over the edge. And My guess is, is that you uh, view friendship or people needing a friend very differently now um, that you are mindful of other people that are lonely and might not have friends that you're big on inviting them in. But that's why uh, friends with Evan, I could just tell. <coughs> He just desperately needed. 
It was lonely, isolated. <laughs> so no, uh, I think that's fair. I think that's a good, I hope that we all could be a little bit more aware that yeah. people are looking for friendship. So, and, and here again, another statistic I want to drop in here of how many of us are looking for friends three decades ago about, um, uh, it was reported that 3% of people had no close friends, 3%. So that's a, that's a small faction, still significant that there's people out there feeling like they didn't have any close friends. In 2021, 12% of people said they had no close friends. I mean, that's concerning. If we have 12% of the population that believes that they have no close friends, I mean, how isolating and lonely is that? That's a big deal. And that number has grown pretty significantly. I mean, in 30 years to go from three to 12%, I mean, we're doing something that is causing people to feel isolated and disconnected. Well, you know, in some ways, I think that it's easier to connect with specialty interest groups uh, than it's ever been. So back in the day, it used to be pretty hard to find people who liked similar things. Sometimes it just kind of felt like it was random or a shot in the dark. You could go to like a club or a league or something like that and, and do it, but you couldn't just Google a community of things and then start having discussions with people about things that you love, right? So there's there's new opportunities for friendship and connection that didn't exist in the same ways in the past. But then in a lot of ways, I, I question how much those connections deepen our fundamental need for those kinds of relationships. So in a lot of ways, the ability to find opportunities to make friends has never been greater. But for some reason, there's a barrier that we have a hard time crossing where we actually go to those things and then make those friends. I do think the opportunities to make friends in some ways are greater, but also more challenging. Yes. Um, I mean, Michael, I'm, my guess is, is that you have an entire community of people that are you could explore friendship with when 2037 you go, people actually okay with 133 when you go to your in the hopper that's right <laughs> when you go to your kids uh you know sports events or extracurriculars you all of a sudden have this entire community of other parents uh that widens the walls of people that you might not have run into just living on your street um right yeah i think that's the most important realization that i had you know as going through this process of like when we when we moved to nashville we were single i mean we were married and young with no kids which is better than being single and young in some ways because you you have this built relationship and one of you generally connects with someone and you can do some couples uh things and you start to find friends that way but being young i think especially like thinking about the church being young and single, there's not a lot of places for you to hang out or connect with people in church. Being young, married with no kids, there's there's maybe some more, but still not a whole lot in our society based around those things. Um, and then, but but then all of a sudden, once you have kids, then you have this like shared uh, exhaustion 
I mean, experience that exists. And, and so then that's places where you can, you're at the soccer field. And so you, every week you're at the soccer field and you meet these people and you connect with them. And so that does create opportunities for you to, to make friends. And then your kids start making friends. And because their kids have friends, you become friends with their parents. And so those, those sorts of things open the doors for you. But in our society and in our, in our church, if, if we think about the, the spiritual side of our work around friendship is that I think we have to be aware that the church is not really organized in a way that helps people make friends very easily. Mm. And that's, I think that's, that's really a, an unfortunate facet of what religion looks like today, because I think we could be the place where people really found deep, meaningful relationships, both people of their own age and a similar life cycle and, and position in life, but also the, the, the melting pot of like diversity of, of age and ethnicity and uh, status and gender and all the, like, like all of that, uh, the church has a great opportunity to be the place where people connect where they otherwise wouldn't connect. But the way it's organized right now, I think that's really hard. Do you feel like the church emphasizes the importance of friendship? Man, that depends so much. A lot of those interactions that I have had in a lot of places have been more prescriptive than supportive. Mm -hmm. Um, The church and the people in it seem more concerned with hammering home values and behaviors that they want to see in society that they need to change. And so it all, it becomes all about that on every side of the spectrum there. And that's like, when I go into a community and the first thing that they want to do is tell me how I need to be and how the world should be. That's not very interactive. (laughs) Well, I also don't, I mean, I wonder, I, I just can't think of a time that I've been in a church where like somebody has preached a sermon um, or shared scripture and was like, this is why friendship and being in relationship with one another is important. I mean, I, I like the church that we go to now, I love it because it is mm-hmm. mainly centered around community, social connection. Like you go on yeah. Sundays and during the week, I feel hopeful and hyped up and encouraged and ready to grow. And I feel like there's other people who are trying to do the same thing. And it's like almost like a celebration and then the structure and community that can help us to respond to the call of God on our lives. But that's why I go there. I like it. It's very supportive and extremely relational. But that the ways that that happens in society has changed, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, mean, I, I would say, OK, I think. The current maybe familiar framework of Christianity in America right now is, first of all, it's it's about a litmus test. It's about like getting things right. So if you think about all the all the parameters that are laid upon you in order to have a right relationship with your creator, that creates an environment, I think, potentially, that says, you know, in order to have relationships, meaningful relationships with each other, you need to get all this stuff right. 
you know, you've got to have, we have to all line up on these issues and agree on them in order to have a meaningful relationship, which is, which is just, first of all, not realistic. And second of all, I think unhealthy at best, uh, because, because diversity of viewpoint and depth of relationship and ability and the realization that we're never going to get it all together. Like we just, Mm -hmm. we just can't, it's not possible. And so if you're waiting for that person to come along that believes everything you believe, uh, I know some working with college students because of that sort of that, that early kind of concrete thinking uh, as, Oh, well, well, they, they're Republican. I can't be friends with them, but they're Democrat. They're, you you know, it's like, okay, you you really enjoyed hanging out with them. All of a sudden, you found something you didn't like about them, or that was different than your viewpoint. All of a sudden, I'm you're done. I'm just I'm done with you. And I think that's I think in some ways that's heightened over the last couple of uh, maybe the last decade. But then on on top of this sort of this framework that you have to have it all together is it's this bigger overarching story in American Christianity that really comes out of revivalism. This idea of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This mm-hmm. is this is this language that you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and you need to be personally convicted, and you need to personally accept Jesus into your heart, and you need to personally be baptized. Like there's a lot of this individualism that really comes out mm-hmm. in American Christianity. Now, I, it's not. It's, it's sort of uh, it's sort of the I think the realm of unintended consequences. I think the idea of a personal relationship with your Creator is beneficial, and it it it, it makes. God, not a not a thing that's so detached from our reality, but something that's real and part of our life. I wholeheartedly agree with that. But the unintended consequence with that is that it's really about you and getting yourself right, and nothing else really matters. And and that what oh, the only thing that matters is that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, which means that that could really break down community, the sense of community that is prevalent through Scripture. It, the faith of our fathers, our ancestors, our our community, it was very much a, a community-rooted faith tradition, not not about me and my house and getting myself in order kind of thing, which is really prominent, I think, in American Christianity presently. Well, we don't go back and talk about uh, in Genesis and the creation story that, I mean, when one person is created, uh, God is not done. Like, it is not fully good when there is just one person there, when there yeah, is then, a second just, person there. Just to be fair, the second person messed everything up. So, I mean. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, my goodness. We will unpack that in some other time. Uh, the, I, I think. I mean, that's, that, a, but, but actually, that's not a bad illustration. Like, you know what? If, if I live my life by myself, it will be it will in some aspects it will be easier i don't have to yeah, worry about anybody else's more. i yeah. can control what happens i can spend money the way i want to spend it and if i have no regard to anybody else in in the world around me besides myself and there's a level of ease and simplicity and lack of of some forms of failure that exist it hurt certainly it'll it'll protect you from from hurt and loss because you never had it in the first place uh, but but what we I think sometimes don't realize is when we go down that path we end up very empty and lonely and and the hurt is a whole different level of hurt. So maybe that's one of the challenges of making uh, friends as an adult is that it requires a risk and level of vulnerability to let somebody in 
and uh, invite them to be your friend and let them in. And it requires a level of humility and compromise that life can't and isn't just all about you, that there is this mutuality and you both get something out of it, but there is a mutuality in it all. Okay, so we did some research and what we're talking about is social exchange theory, right? Okay. I mean, really, right? Here, I'll read you the definition. Social exchange theory is... Oh, man, I had it pulled up and I grabbed the wrong thing. I'm sorry, everyone. Listener. This is great. I agree wholeheartedly. That's That definition is fantastic, Kevin. Oh, thank you so (laughs) much. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Why are you doing this to me? Ah, Social exchange theory proposes that social behavior is a result of an exchange process. So you maximize benefits and minimize costs. So that kind of subconsciously we are thinking Am I getting something compared to what I'm giving? And whether we would acknowledge it or not, that process is always running in our minds. So we we are always thinking about like the cost benefit analysis of a relationship. Is that what we're saying? I mean, I don't think actively in every microsecond, but I think especially over time, I I find that to be very true when, and I think you illustrated it well, when you talked about if we're going to go out and I'm, you're just going to treat this like a therapy session, at least by my dinner. (laughs) I mean, I'm not always right on the edge of date, so you got to be careful. (laughs) True. I'm not always that snarky, but yeah. Um, I do think that Some of that social exchange theory is also about practicing good self-care that we only have so much capacity. And so we have to think through how we are going to use our time and our energy. Um, Very interesting that you would bring that up. Yes. Because there's a conjoining theory called socio-emotional selectivity theory that says that your perception of time and how much time you have left impacts the decisions you make and the relationships that you form socially. So as you enter into different life stages and as you get later into life and you have less time, you're going to be more interested in maximizing the value of the relationships that you have and less interested in taking the risks to form new ones. That's a gross oversimplification, but I mean, I, I, most, I would say that when people are younger and older, kind of like bell curve, like, uh, is when, uh, historically it's been researched that people will, uh, the breadth of friendships is maximized in a few kind of middle seasons of your life. And the depth of friendship, uh, is more maximized towards the end of your life and even sometimes at the beginning of your life. Yeah, the 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 two general categories that this theory supposes and some proponents of it say is that when time is perceived as open-ended, I'm reading this here, knowledge-related goals are prioritized. When you have a lot of time, 
humans tend to want to grow in knowledge. And then when time is perceived as limited, more emotional goals assume priority. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, Emily works with people who are dying. And you. I think that's one of the characteristics you definitely see as someone approaches their their mortality. I mean, I, so I mean, I think we it, it, our sort of our our baseline operation is as living creatures is to to sustain ourselves. So, you know, food, water, all the basic requirements for life. Just you know, and we're we're innately selfish when we're we're initially born because we're mm-hmm. just keeping as an organism staying alive. We have to be. That's yeah, what I think yeah, about when I yeah. see a baby. I'm just like, look at that selfish so human. Selfish. All it does is <laughs> poop and. Doesn't sleep, oh, goodness. like draining life out of me, but it's so darn cute. Um, <laughs> but, but if you think about it, you know, children, they're going to get what they need to survive. But mm-hmm. but you also start to see this exchange theory happening because you know, you'll see kids like, oh, if I give you a little bit of my lunch and you give me a little of my lunch, we're both going to have everything that we need. You start to see this relationship uh, around academics. So you're like, oh, you're really good at this. I'm good at this. Let's do this together. Um, so you start to see that kind of happen and then, and then you lay over on top of that other, you know, experiences in life. And I think even our faith traditions, uh, teach altruism to care for others over yourself. And so that then, then the, I think the exchange is a little different. Mm -hmm. Uh, if your, if your value system is that you should care for others, uh, as much, if not more than you care for yourself. Uh, that that changes how you interact with society, and then and then as you approach uh, different levels of age and experience in life, I think I think I'm more um, interested in depth of relationship than breadth of relationships. But when I was younger, I was much more interested in breadth than I was necessarily depth, and I think that changes. Mm-hmm. And then you see people as they approach death, they whether it's a you know a disease or injury or actual age mortality you see them being far more introspective and and making decisions completely differently not working so hard that's a good one i think you see people like Mm. oh i just spent most of my life working instead of being with my kids and right now what i really wish i'd had is you know i don't think anybody ever approaches death saying gosh i wish i had a few more days working uh I'm well, not friends with them, yeah. but someone <laughs> Evan and I are not going to be like that. I wish we had one more project. <laughs> um, but you know, I think that's I think those things are true, and I I just think when you when you think about theories, they are ways of trying to make sense of complex realities, and really multiple theories overlay each other at the same time. We're we're kind of a a mishmash of different working theories and the way we approach the world. But I think those two are helpful for us to think about okay so oh Lindsay, go ahead i was gonna take us a slightly different way than my brain started going so wrap us up oh no i'm i'm taking us a new way too so i'm so why don't we say it at the same time and let's see if we're saying that'll be real helpful i'll choose i'll choose which (laughs) way we go go ahead so um I think that it's it takes a big investment of our time and energy again is what we're mm-hmm. hearing of friendships. Um some of the research that I was doing uh had researched that they they've kind of found how many hours it takes to develop a close friendship. 
Oh. I want y'all to guess. I want y'all to guess how many hours it takes to develop a close friendship. There's a lot of variables in that, I would say. 25. It's quality okay, hours. 25 hours to develop a close friendship. Yeah. What do you think, Michael? I mean, I honestly, I think an intense two hours could be just as much as a non-intense 24 hours collective. But, but for the sake of this experiment, I'll say uh, 36 hours. Sets it takes an average of 200 hours Active. to develop a close friendship. So they don't have 2,037 friends. I'm just, <laughs> just you know, 144 in the house. That are clearly <laughs> all close friends, too, because you've given all of them 200 hours. Um, and so it really made me think about it. Like, if it's 200 hours to develop yeah. a close friendship, according to these researchers, um, then like, no wonder it, we might be limited on close friendship or, you know, it's just harder for us to make friends. We, it is a big risk to try to build a friendship up because we're going, okay, are we ready to invest, you know, two hours, 36 hours up to 200 hours? Yeah, I get that. I guess the question is, which I posed earlier, is it important? Oh, is that the question that I interrupted right off the bat? Is friendship important? And I said, hold on. Yeah, we talked about theory for 30 minutes. Uh, Exactly. I mean, truly, though, truly, though. Importance is not strong enough a word. I think think friendships are, are as important to your body as oxygen. Vital. Mm-hmm. So that's a, so that's a yes. <laughs> I just think that's just a not a strong enough word. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, I think I think it is. I think adult friendships are essential, and I think all of the research shows realistically that it is for most people very important. Well, especially as you get later in life, do you have close friendships? Satisfaction health longevity there is some correlation with friendships and relationships that helps us to be healthier and more satisfied with our lives that is what the data says it's both your emotional and your physical health if you are lonely loneliness someone experiencing loneliness is the same as smoking 15 cigarettes a day of its impact on your body. That, that is wild, that lack of connection and relationships. That's uh, uh, two jewel pods a day for. <laughs> Thank you. I was curious what that. You're trying to translate was. for all, all ages in this podcast. Um, that it is vital for us to have friends. I think that adult friendships are hard because friends are not served to us on a platter the same way that they were in school of like, you're automatically in the same building with people your age and you can unite over certain shared interests or experiences. Or Um, dislikes. 
or dislikes. Yes. Shared dislike for a teacher. I think that was interesting is that you saw a lot of people coming together emotionally early in the pandemic, because once again, you had a shared experience. And so people can bond over shared experiences, but overall we spread out so much as adults. I think that it takes so much intentionality to have friendships that I think that's the hardest part as an adult or lack of time, having to take risks and trust people. Um, and, and the required intentionality and energy behind it all. They did a study of how many hours with friends, different age groups spend, uh, throughout Mm -hmm. aging and young adults, uh, in their twenties, teens and twenties spent 10 to 25 hours with friends and they were by far the highest age group. Uh, and then once you start getting towards your thirties, that falls off quite a bit. So there has to be, I think some change, realistic change in expectation for what those relationships are going to look like as we get older, or else you're just going to be frustrated all the time. And I think in a lot of ways in my life, I didn't set those expectations. It was hard to navigate that transition from we get a lot of time together to we have less time together. So how am I still going to experience significance and closeness in these relationships, given my new circumstances? And that was that's challenging to navigate. And I think that at the core of adult friendships, in a lot of ways, for me, it's managing that transition in reality and expectations mm-hmm. to understand that circumstances are different. So I have to find ways to maximize that. I mean, I'm just living into these theories that we talked about. Yeah. Yeah. Our introverted and extroverted selves need different things for sure. Um, But it is interesting how often we have to recalibrate as adults and figure out how to spend our time with friends and when other friends are available. Like, I mean, as, as a number of, I remember in my kind of mid thirties, when friends started getting married, Yeah. And then I had to, I didn't have to, I felt like I started exploring, okay, let me find some new friends because those friends didn't all have the same capacity and time anymore. Yeah. Um, because they didn't always create it. Some friends do create that. Yes. Some friends do not. Um, and cause when you have a built-in friend in your house, you don't have to be intentional in the same way outside of your house. I, yeah, I mean, I'll push back on that a little bit though, too, because I think especially for married persons, having friends is really essential to a healthy relationship. Um, Correct. And I think it's, it, it's really similar to why I think friendship is really an important and critical facet of our spiritual lives as well, because we do not have the full clear picture of who we are, who God might be calling us to be. And we do not have the ability internally to intrinsically navigate every challenge that we're going to face in life. And we don't even have the ability to become the person that we want to be on our own because you don't have that perspective. You don't have that third party perspective. And if the only people that you're close with in your life are like family members and somebody that you're married to, and those people have to issue those kind of challenges, Hey, listen, things haven't, you don't seem like yourself. This isn't, I, you know, you're having some challenges here. You need friends to introduce, in my opinion, and where I find value is when you're off base and and you need Somebody needs to talk to you about something or or ask some concerning questions. Friendship is an essential and safe way for that to happen. 
and to introduce life change. I think especially spiritually, you have got to have mm-hmm. people that you're able to have those kinds of conversations with uh, to be able to really navigate life well. And, and it can't, that's a too much, in my opinion, way too much pressure to just put on a spouse or another family member, because every person mm-hmm. in your life can't meet every need that you have. And that's Agreed. an unfair expectation to put on them. But I think a lot of us hold that in our back of our minds the whole time. Mm-hmm. I've been meaning to talk to you about something, Evan. Tell me. <laughs> let's, let's just model it right here. Evan, that mustache. Yeah, just need to have a conversation about it. It's, it's <laughs> disgusting, and I love it. I think one of the interesting things, too, and I, I, would, I would pose this question. Um, are friendships and what we value in friendships too cerebral in older age? Is it too emotional and cerebral, the connection that we try and have to determine friendship, when in reality, that's not necessarily what is the best predictor of closeness? I think I have two different camps of friends in my life. I think I have friends that um, I am close to emotionally and, as you said, cerebrally. Uh, I have those friends. They are like, using my earlier analogy, they are like the lightning cable uh, to charge up my phone. Um, I have other friends that are really fun to just do random things in life with, and I can play with them and it brings a lot of joy. Um, and they might not be there for the same depth, uh, and emotional intensity that some of my other friends are. Um, but I really, I still need them in my life. Maybe I didn't have as many things to share when I was five. Like when you think about it, you just really needed somebody that was going to do play hopscotch or draw and chalk with you because you weren't having to say like, oh, I really had a bad day today and I need to talk about, you know, X, Y, and Z. But I think play is a facilitator of much deeper things that are happening inside of us. I think that the way that you play, the way that you process emotion through play, the way that you connect with people, the way that it creates space for conversations and creates situations that you wouldn't encounter in life, but you get to evaluate and determine how you would react later in life. You can kind of do some predictive behavior in play, even at very young ages, is is essential. to. And we're going to do an episode on play, uh, which which I'm, I'm looking forward to. But I I think it's discounted a lot in in the way that we we talk about closeness. It led better at TCU. They did some research on best friends over the course of like 19 years or something like that. Uh, and so they did this nice longitudinal study. And so they found that one of the biggest predictors of future closeness in friendships and they term they use the term best friends, right? But the the best predictor of future closeness in friends, one of was a word guessing game, that the that the folks that did well in their younger years at a word guessing game tended to have a higher correlation of being close later. Now, I think that what? that, yeah, 
I mean, it, it, you know, okay, it's not correlation is not causation, right? But yeah, I mean, I think that's a really interesting, I think we try and break it down and have all these theories and things like that. But there's something about the way that we play together and the way that it creates space and the way that we can predict others' behaviors and things like that, that has a factor in the way that we stay close to people. And you, there, I don't want to get into everything that we want to talk about in just yeah, the play like, episode. Yeah, there's so much that I want to learn about play. Uh in the future. So I can't wait for that episode. But I, I think that if every time you get together with somebody, it's there's the pressure of deep vulnerability. I don't know if that's all always our authentic selves. I think that friends are one of the greatest ways that you can just explore new concepts, try new things, recreate yourself, create space to evaluate things in your life. Mm-hmm. That that pressure doesn't have to exist professionally. And I think even when we talk about professional relationships and how we bridge professional relationships into friendships, I think play in a lot of ways is that facilitator. I think that's a really great point. I will be, I think that as adults, we've forgotten to play in the same ways that we used to. Um, and I'll be curious to learn more about what that means for our connection. Because it's something we don't do that much anymore. Well, and I have, in your opinion, spiritually, I think there's a unique relationship that friendships have with our spiritual health. Mm-hmm. I think it's, I think family has those relationships. I think pastoral counseling. But I think for me, friends are where things become real. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Because in some ways there's different pressure on those interactions and that relationship than somewhere else. I, I think friendships typically involve a healthy friendship involves more charity in a lot of ways. Someone who knows you gives you space. They understand. And in a lot of ways, you got to be able to workshop ideas, thoughts, and emotions in a place of psychological safety that isn't just defined by this is the converse, this is the person I talk to when I need to fix my stuff. Some ways, close friendship serves as an incubator. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I think that gives us a lot to think about as we um, take this idea of adult friendship forward in our lives. Um, I, I think I, I just go back to Lindsay, you shared a, kind of the start of relationship in Genesis that, that, that first of all, creation itself is, is a manifestation of relationship, the mm-hmm. relationship with the cre- between the creator and the created but then also realizing that the created needs that humankind needs relationship with each other. And that this, that, that sets the stage for, I think a story of humankind that's captured both in scripture and also in extra uh, scriptural texts about this ebb and flow of relationship and how much it means to have people you can trust who can help you um, birth new ideas and, and, a place of trust that you can sort out the challenges that you're experiencing and places of relationship that are 
are meaningful enough to sustain you when things are really hard. And then I think, uh, you know, highlighting your idea of exchange theory is that that friendship is also about sharing the basic the basic needs of life uh, to sustain each other through through that. And um, we see it throughout throughout scriptures, the importance of these relationships. And I think each of us has shared our own sense of relationship is and those relationships that are important to us that sustain us. Um, and then also the realization of how hard it is. Like it's not easy to especially to make new relationships as an adult. But those relationships that you do form, I think, can be some of the most powerful in your life because you're a different person now than you were when you were a teenager or a college student. Mm-hmm. And so building relationships now with people that that offer that kind of sustainability and uh, fun and uh, encouragement and sustenation that that can that can be really powerful gifts to you. I think that's really true, Michael. I think where I often find it helpful is I just kind of need some action steps and ideas and thoughts to get me moving. So what are some things that you would say, you know what, this is a good idea. You should try this. This will help you get out of that rut. This will help you deepen the friendships that you have, make some new friendships and help maintain healthy ones. I think one for me is phones go both ways. I think that if if you find that your friends are constantly the ones reaching out to you with texts and calls, you don't have to meet them one for one, but just kind of keep track of who's reached out to you first a few times and just throw them a bone every now and again and just reach out to them. I really liked your idea about both of you having lists of people that of I and I know Evan does this with like our our work side of life too. He has sort of this running list of who he's talked to and how often he talks to them. And I think I let that slide. I think I'm not as aware uh, of those moments where I reached out to people who are who are important to me. Um, and so I think that idea of making a list of people that you should check in with that you know because it hits me like in the weirdest moments. You know, like oh, I haven't talked to so and so. I'd love to hear what they're doing. And so just sort of jotting that down so you come back around to it and actually actually make that phone call. Because I know it feels great when out of the blue, someone I love calls me and just says, hey, what's going on? So I think reciprocating that and being intentional about it, I think it's a really good, helpful hint. I think sometimes just taking the risk and asking that person to coffee or lunch or something. Um, I've also, I mean, I kind of mentioned it in my summer of yes, I started just buying, if there was, if there was some event I wanted to go to, I would just buy two tickets and then call a friend and say, Hey, come along with me. Um, so we don't have to kind of decide what is a, uh, an event that we can share together. Um, it's already decided there's something out there. Do you want to join me? Mm. Um, and events are great places to have a talking point. Uh, to deepen and spur on the friendship. Mm. It feels less awkward when you have something kind of in between you to get it going. Mm. One thing uh, just rapid fire that I have taken from growing up that were kind of some rules for friendship that I would get in trouble if I didn't follow. And my parents were modeling, I think, behaviors that were going to help me later in life as they do. Uh, And one is the kind of a 50-50 rule. Uh, we, when we were kids, we had to go, we tried to go over to our friend's house 
as much as they came over to our house. Uh, that way you were on other people's turf. I think that that is a little different. You know, in, in adulthood, it's more like, let's meet on your side of town this time. We'll meet on my mm-hmm. side of town. I'll come to your house, your apartment, whatever that is, uh, and try and try and balance that out. I think logistically that can have some challenges, but I think it really shows a level of care and intentionality to say, you know what, you, you've driven to my side of town the last two times we've hung out, even if it's not convenient, but I, I, let's go to a restaurant near your place, um, yeah, which I think is good. The other one of those that I, I, I really liked is the rule of prior commitment. And when we make plans, we just, it was, we got in big trouble if we changed them um, just because something better came along. So I think holding those times and plans that you have uh, really sacred are really fair. Uh, and one of the things that I think helps you to be healthy and keep those connections. And it keeps you from being flaky too. Uh, I, I always, you know, super appreciate that. Things come up obviously, but when things come up constantly, that's a trend. I think these are all really helpful, practical steps. And I'm, I really value y'all's friendship. I know we say this often, but I am grateful that we have uh, taken over 200 hours uh, together to develop a close friendship. Hey. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and we get to actually hang out in person sometimes now too. So that's great. I know. And everybody listening, we also uh, are on our way to considering you close friends since you have probably listened to us. If you listen, if you've listened to the whole thing, you've spent more you, than 50 you know hours. More than <laughs> probably 90% of the people <laughs> who I've ever met. Uh, so send me a friendship uh, request on Facebook. friend request for you to be able to, for them to live in purgatory forever with you. <laughs> well, thanks everyone. Thank Just you know, for it may listening. take 10 years. <laughs> thanks to Justin Patton for producing this episode. Get out there. Text that friend that you haven't talked to in a while. Tell someone you're grateful for them. Don't just reach out to somebody when you need something. All those things. Have a great time wherever you find yourself. Uh, If there's kids in the car listening to this, your parents know more than they let on. Uh, You should get over yourself. You're just a child. All right. 